Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the 10th and Broad Church of Christ podcast. Today's message is presented by Ken Holsberry, the preaching minister at the 10th and Broad Church. Let's tune in now for Ken's message. Well, if you knew that someone was going to try to break into your house tonight, what would you do? <laughs> would She said, open the door. I doubt that's the answer most of you would give. What would you do if someone's, you knew they were going to try to break in your house? Would you maybe turn on all the lights? Would you make sure all the doors are locked? Would you uh, uh, check your ammunition? Would you call the police? What would you do if you knew someone was going to break into your house? Well, I'm here to tell you this morning that there is a thief in this world and he has broken into our houses. And he has come in because he wants to steal and because he wants to kill and because he wants to destroy. He doesn't have anything good in mind for you or for your houses. And he is very real and he is very blatant. And so today as we get in this series a little more deeply about how to protect yourself and how to protect your family. And when we talk about family, we're talking about your immediate family, your extended family. We're talking about the church family. We all have a part that we can, through the Lord Jesus Christ, have spiritual victory and protect ourselves and our families from this enemy who is against us. And so we're going to sing. Wendell didn't know the specific direction of the sermon, but through the Lord picked some great songs that are going to really speak to this. I hope that you will continue to give every praise to our Lord this morning. That verse that we read and that song that we just sang, sang reminds us of a really important truth that we addressed last week. And that is that the battle starts on your knees. The battle is fought on your knees. When God went to war against the gods of Egypt to rescue and redeem his people, which is a picture for us and what God is doing for us against our spiritual enemies. It was not a physical battle that God fought. It was a spiritual battle that God fought. It was fought in the heavenlies and it had ramifications for Egypt on earth as God destroyed their power and their gods one by one. And and he did it. God is the one who brings victory. He is the one who fights the battles. And uh, it starts for us on our knees. And we spent some time in Ephesians chapter 1 last week looking at a prayer that Paul prayed for the church. That means he prayed it for you and he prayed it for me. And it's one that your leaders are praying for this church right now. That, that, uh, that we would know God. That we would have a spirit of wisdom and a spirit of revelation. And that we would know the, the incredible riches that we have from God, that He is abundant, that His storehouses are inexhaustible, that we would know the, the power that we have from God, the very power that He used to raise Jesus from the dead is at our disposal to use in the battle. And that we would know that just as Jesus is seated in the heavenlies, we're going to talk about this a little more today, that is exactly where we are seated as well. And so, The battle is real. The enemy is real. And God is real. Amen? Amen. But I want to talk a little bit about our enemy this morning. And a little bit about this battle. It seems to me. I'm going to be sharing some things that have been on my heart for quite some time this morning. It seems to me. 
that our enemy, the devil, Satan, as we looked at him in Revelation, depicted as this great dragon who has turned his attention to those who follow Jesus. It seems to me that in the last few decades, in the last generations, that he, that devil, that enemy, has reared his ugly head in some ways that maybe in our lifetime we have not seen. He's always been present. He's always been against us. He's always been at work. He's sly. He has schemes and, and, and ways to go against us. But it seems to me in my spirit as I look around and as I observe and as I walk through this life that he is active in a way, in a more blatant, in-your-face way than he has been in our nation in quite some time. Something has changed in the spiritual atmosphere. Do you sense it too? Something has changed in the spiritual atmosphere. It seems to me that Satan is not even trying to be sly or sneaky right now. It seems to me that he has become very bold and very audacious Because it seems our culture is just embracing his agenda in a way that we haven't in maybe some past generations. His agenda is evil. His agenda is detestable. His agenda is dangerous for us. Now the Bible is very clear that God created everything. It starts with saying that God created the heavens and the earth. He created things in the heavens. And he created things on earth. He created beings in heaven and he created beings on earth. In Colossians chapter 1 it talks about he created the things that are visible. And he created the things that are invisible. There are invisible forces. Spiritual forces that God created. And that spiritual realm is very, very real. And it has an impact on our lives. And as I look back over the last year of my preaching, really a theme that I see is that over the last year, we have talked about this spiritual realm a lot. We've talked about the Holy Spirit. We've talked about freedom in Christ. We've talked about the cosmic battle that was going on at, at when Jesus came into the world. It, it seems to me as I look back, what we've really been doing over the last year is God has been making us hopefully more aware than we have been that there is a spiritual realm, that it is very real, and that something is going on there that we need to be aware of and have eyes to see. That's a part of that prayer in Ephesians 1, that we would the eyes of our heart would be opened, that we would see God, that we would know God, and that we would know and have some awareness of what is happening, again, to use this phrase, in the spiritual atmosphere around us. And in this series, and, and, and after this, we're going to go in a different direction. I don't want to wear you out on this. But, but, but in this series, we're, we're going to talk in very practical, specific ways of how we fight this battle. How we go against this enemy on our knees with the weapons and the tools that God has put at our disposal. So that we can protect our families. That we can protect this family in this very real spiritual battle. 
against these spiritual forces that have aligned themselves against God's people because we follow Jesus. And as I said, it seems to me that they are clearly active in a way that is more obvious and blatant. Why is that? Now again, I'm giving you my thoughts. Now they're based on Scripture and they're based in prayer. But there are several times in Corinthians that Paul said, I'm speaking, not the Lord speaking. So I'm giving you my thoughts here. There was a day before the Lord Jesus came into the world to set us free, to save us. There was a day that the presence of the gods was very evident. They were worshipped in temples on every corner. They were worshipped in high places and in groves and at shrines. And in every culture and in every nation, these gods, these spiritual forces, these idols that Paul says demons are behind those idols... These false gods were worshipped. They were even worshipped in the culture that God chose and formed into a nation through the family of Abraham and were to be His special people through whom He brought the Savior Jesus. Even in that nation, in that people, in that culture, these gods were worshipped. For Jesus came around the earth, across the nations, in every tongue and tribe, these gods were worshipped. But God sent His Son into the world. He sent Him into the world to save us. He sent Him into the world to defeat our enemy and our enemies. And on the cross, Jesus disarmed the principalities and the powers. That's a Bible phrase that that the Bible uses to talk about these spiritual forces. Jesus disarmed the principalities and the powers. He inaugurated His kingdom. And he said that as that kingdom spreads and goes forth and pushes and and battles, that the gates of hell will not be able to stand against his kingdom. This enemy is, is going to be defeated. And as Christ was preached, as the kingdom of God was spread, that kingdom pushed back the kingdom of the air. Again, a Bible phrase, the kingdom of Satan. And that through the church and its growth, through the preaching of the gospel, through Jesus saving and rescuing and forgiving and redeeming people, more and more they turn from idols and they turn to the one true God. And over the course of a couple of hundred years, wherever the church had spread, those gods were cast out. Those temples were shut down. Those idols were destroyed. Very often, churches were built on the very sites where those demons had been worshipped. And so, spiritual ground was claimed by the church, by God's people. And in the West, especially, that remained true for a couple of thousand years. But, but something happened. And I'm going to quote... A little bit here from a book entitled The Return of the Gods. That in their absence, during this time that that they were pushed back, in their absence, mankind charted the earth, vanquished nature, dissected the fabric of life, 
codified the universe. Scientists wore the mantle of prophets and the garment of priest was a lab coat. Having demystified the earth and awash in the arrogance of knowledge and power, man then decided he had no need for God. And that's when the door was opened. These spiritual powers that had so much sway over mankind, I believe, have begun to, again, raise their heads in ways we've not seen. And they've come in very slowly. They do that on purpose because if they march in with too much attention, we would, be, we would quickly shut the door. But as it is, as they come in slowly with measured steps, what they do is they desensitize us to their presence. And because we become desensitized, we haven't pushed back. And their sway over our nation has increased. And we don't worship them in temples. We don't worship them in groves or sacred places. I'm going to quote again. But they inhabit our institutions. And they walk the halls of government. And they cast votes in our legislatures. And they guide our corporations. And they perform on our stages. And they teach in our universities. They saturate our media. They direct our news cycles. They inspire our entertainments. And they give voice to our songs. They give light to our devices and screens. And that book ended this particular quote by saying, The gods have returned. We saw it in January. Of 2021, when the 117th Congress of the United States was opened with prayer, as it has been since the very first Congress. But on that day, for the first time in the history of our nation, it was not opened in the name of Yahweh, in the name of God, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. On that day, The prayer said, now and evermore, we ask in the name of the monotheistic God and a Hindu God was named. A God known by many names and by many faiths. And he ended, amen and a woman. I didn't mention the false God's name because Exodus chapter 23 Verse 13, Yahweh gives this command. Pay close attention to all my instructions. You must not call on the name of any other gods. Do not even speak their names. Yet every Sunday, when the Detroit Lions play, the name of the supreme Egyptian deity is called out over and over. Because Julian St. Brown's father wanted to make a statement when he named his son. I'm not against that young man. I'm just saying that we've reached a point that every Sunday during the game, a false God's name is celebrated. There's something that has changed, folks, in the spiritual atmosphere. We've seen it very recently and very blatantly. When the Pope changed 2,000 years of biblical teaching 
and of Catholic doctrine and told priests to bless homosexual unions. Now, I don't know what you think about the Catholic Church, but one thing I have always appreciated about the Catholic Church is that they have been a bulwark for biblical morality in cultures around the world. But that bulwark is crumbling before our very eyes under the pressure and the force of spiritual forces that are at work in our world against us in ways we have not seen. It's been coming for decades. Year after year, the envelope is pushed further and further through our screens and our devices. We have allowed into our homes God, things God finds detestable, and we become desensitized to it, and it affects us. We think these false gods aren't having an impact, just as one example of many. If you don't think they're having an impact, explain to me by why more and more and more I am encountering young men and women who profess Christ and have grown up in the church, but who have been so influenced by these false gods through the media that they're openly living together in sin and think nothing about it. Something has changed. Something's happened. The battle is real, church. You may not be able to do something about what's going on culturally. But I'm here to tell you, you can do something about what goes on in your house. And what goes on in your family. Your extended family. This family. And in this series, I hope to give you tools and weapons to do just that. Satan may have an ordered system and hierarchy of spiritual forces that are doing his bidding. And they may have well-developed schemes and plans that are meant to destroy your family and to take you out. But Jesus Christ has come. And he has come to destroy the works of the devil. And He has come, and so the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Amen, church? But it's going to require that we take this battle seriously. It's going to require that we have eyes to see. That we have the will to do what is necessary. To use the tools. To use the weapons. To sharpen our weapons. To wear our armor. To not bury our head in the sand. Because these spiritual forces aren't just something we read about in the Bible and they've ceased to exist. These spiritual forces aren't just something that happens in less enlightened, more primitive cultures. It's happening in our culture all around us. And we can't just send folks to a counselor or prescribe some medicine. And fix spiritual issues. 
Paul said he did not want believers to be ignorant about Satan's devices. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. John said that it is a daily battle and it is waged in the world and it shows itself as the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Brothers and sisters, there are those among us and there are certainly those around us who are enslaved, who are in bondage, who are bound by these spiritual forces. And it shows up in all kinds of ways. We have those who are enslaved to pornography. We have those who are trapped in anxiety. We have those who are addicted to all kinds of substances. And again, our culture is just embracing that more and more and and making them legal. We have folks who are enticed by gambling. And I'm telling you, gambling is is a dangerous thing to get involved in. And it is being promoted in ways publicly we have never seen it promoted before. These spiritual forces are behind, I believe with all my heart, these spiritual forces are behind the confusion that our young people are in over their gender and over their identity. It's a spiritual issue and it's got to be fought with spiritual weapons and God can defeat it and rescue these young men and women who are being lied to and enslaved in this confusion, folks. I feel this strongly. These spiritual forces are behind so many of our young people who hurt themselves, cut themselves, harm themselves. It's behind... More and more people who are experiencing suicidal thoughts, who are, these forces are behind those who are just bound in depression, those who are rebellious to authority. These aren't behavioral problems, they're not just something we have to learn to deal with. They are spiritual problems, and there are malignant forces behind them, and through the Lord Jesus Christ, He has given us the authority to defeat them, to protect our families, to defeat these demonic forces and their influence. And we can have victory through Jesus. And I'm going to tell you that I have. Through the Lord Jesus Christ, I have experienced a victory in my life, in a specific area of my life, that had a hold of me. that harmed my marriage, that undermined my ministry. And I was in bondage to it for decades. It started when I was a teenager, lured by a certain temptation to sin. And over time, I had seasons of battling well and seasons of not battling well, but it became an oppression. And there were times, and you may have experienced something like this in your life in some way where you just feel like it is impossible to say no. It's impossible to have any victory. It's an oppression. It's a bondage to sin. And there were demonic forces at work behind it that had to be dealt with. And thanks be to God, I learned some of those tools and some of those weapons. I'll be teaching them in this series and I just want to say to you that Jesus set me free. 
And it's real freedom. The oppression is gone. I am not a slave to sin. And even when those temptations rise, I have the power, as Romans 8 taught us, in Jesus Christ to say no. Because when Christ sets you free, you are free indeed. So I'm preaching to you about something I've experienced personally. I'm preaching to you about something that God has allowed me to be a part of in others experiencing victory and freedom over sin and spiritual battles because our Lord is the victor. So as we finish today, I want to say a couple of things about our enemy and I want to say a couple of things about our identity. First of all, our enemy. The Bible clearly says we have three enemies. They're all mentioned in Ephesians chapter 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. And like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. There's three enemies in that passage. I'm going to read it to you from another version, the NLT, just to hear it in a different way. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger. Three enemies... The enemies we face are the ways of the world, the ruler of the kingdom of the power of the air, the devil, and our own sinful nature. The ways of the world. Folks, the Bible is very clear. The world is headed for destruction. Not because God's mean and angry, because that is the fruit that the world is producing. Sin that leads to death. And so the world is headed for destruction. And the Bible is also clear that to get caught up in the ways of the world, and it is so easy to do, to get caught up in the ways of the world, means that you are headed for destruction. James chapter 4 reminds us that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God. This is serious stuff. To get caught up in the ways of the world, to be so influenced by that, just the forces that are at work in this world, is dangerous. It takes diligence. It takes families making some really hard, consistent decisions. So the ways of the world is our enemy. The devil is our enemy. He's the prince of this world. He is the commander of the unseen forces at work in this world. He hates you. He has a terrible plan for your life. 1 Peter 5, 8 says he is a roaring lion. He is looking for someone to devour. But I want to tell you, he's a toothless lion. See, this is one of the problems when we talk about these spiritual things. C.S. Lewis said we either make way too much of it or we make way too little of it. And it's a hard line to follow down the middle. He is a roaring lion seeking to devour, but he's a toothless lion. We don't need to make too much of him, but we certainly don't need to make too little of him. In the very next verse, in, in verse 9 of 1 Peter 5, 
Peter says, don't forget, you can resist the devil. James 4 says, when we resist him, he will flee. And we're going to talk very specifically about what it really looks like and how we go about in any given moment resisting the devil so that he will flee. He's toothless because... His teeth were pulled on the cross. And I'm not trying to be cute about that. He's toothless because his power was removed at the cross. He was disarmed. And I I read something this way, and I think it's really helpful because part of our struggle with this is, well, if Jesus came, why are these forces still at work? Why is it still so dangerous? Why are so many people still taken out? Why, if he's disarmed, does he still have so much influence? Here's the way one person said this, and I think it makes a lot of sense. We have been delivered from His power through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. We were delivered from the power of the enemy when Jesus came the first time. We're going to be delivered from the presence of the enemy when Jesus comes the second time. It's it's then, Revelation teaches us, that He's going to be cast into the, the lake of fire. And He will influence and have nothing to do with us anymore. In the meantime, we're still in the battle. Now, this battle is only a few days old to the Lord, but it's 2,000 years old to us. And that's another hard thing for us to get into our minds. But Jesus came and He's coming again. And what He started in victory, He's going to finish in victory. We've been delivered from the power of the enemy, but we haven't yet been delivered from the presence of the enemy. And so that means that the devil and his minions are still here. And they're still stalking us. And they're still intimidating us. And they're still lying to us. And they're still taking out way too many people. So the world and the devil and our third enemy is our own sinful nature. And I'll just say, we don't even need the other two, honestly, because we are our own worst enemy. So many of you are just shaking your head right now. You know, we're our own worst enemy. Started with Adam and Eve. God gave us the freedom to decide. And just more often than we want, we decide wrong. And as Romans 7 says, we... We do the things we don't want to do and we don't do the things we want to do. Galatians chapter 5 teaches us that there are fruits of the flesh. There are fruits that get produced in our life through the sinful nature and it leads us to death. It says we cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. So we have three very powerful enemies. That means we're up against a lot. But again, I say the one who is in us is greater than the three who are against us. We are in Christ and through the Holy Spirit, Christ is in us. Remember that illustration with the tubs that we did in Romans chapter 8. We are hidden in God, in Christ, and inside of us is Christ and the Holy Spirit. And so let me remind you of your identity. In fact, let's you remind yourself of your identity. Would you please stand? And would you repeat these truths? Every single one of these are taken from Scripture. They're going to be on the screen for your benefit. They're also in your insert in the bulletin. We're not going to read the Scripture reference. I put them there so you would... Be able to go later and look. Everything that you are about to confess. Everything you're about to proclaim. Everything you're about to announce. Is a truth from God. 
And it's a truth about your identity. So would you say with me, I am God's child. It's just, I am a friend of Jesus Christ. I have been justified. I am united with the Lord and I am one with His Spirit. I have been bought with a price and I belong to God. I am a member of Christ's body. I have been chosen by God and adopted as His child. I have been redeemed and forgiven of all my sins. I am complete in Christ. I have direct access to the throne of grace through Jesus Christ. I am free from condemnation. I am assured that God works for my good in all circumstances. I cannot be separated from the love of God. I have been established, anointed, and sealed by God. I am hidden with Christ in God. I am confident that God will complete the good work He started in me. I am a citizen of heaven. I have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. I am born of God, and the evil one cannot touch me. I am a branch of Jesus Christ, the true vine, and a channel of His life. I have been chosen and appointed to bear fruit. I am God's temple. I am a minister of reconciliation for God. I am seated with Jesus Christ in the heavenly realm. I am God's workmanship. I may approach God with freedom and confidence. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen. Would you be seated? That's who God says you are. That's who Jesus came to make you. That's what the Holy Spirit continues to do in your life. That's your identity. And standing in that identity, you can defeat the enemy. You can defeat him in your family. You can have victory. You can say no to sin. You and your family can withstand the pressure that is against you. You can defeat the devil and any demonic activity that's in your life or the lives of your loved ones. And and as I already said last week in Ephesians 1, we we talked about this all begins on your knees. But in Ephesians 2, I just want to end by by reminding you, and we said it in those statements, but in Ephesians chapter 2, following what we read a little earlier, that the ways of this world and the devil and our own sinful nature makes us objects of wrath, then some of the best words in the Bible written are, but God. Anytime you see the phrase, but God, you just stop and camp out there because something good is coming. But God, because of His great love for us, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace that we have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ, and He seated us 
with Him in the heavenly realms in Jesus Christ. Where are you, church? You're not just sitting in a seat at the corner of 10th and Broad. This doesn't talk in future language. This talks in language as if it has already happened. You have been raised up and seated with the Lord Jesus Christ. Where is the Lord Jesus Christ seated? He is seated at the right hand of His Father, the God of the universe who reigns over heaven and over earth. What has Christ been given? He has been given all authority. And when He comes again and finishes this battle, He will present it all back to His Father. That's where He is. That is where you are. You are with Christ. You are not cast down, which is what we all deserve. You are raised up because of His grace. And because you are in Christ, you are with Christ. And so in a very real way, in a very real spiritual way, in the heavenly realms, at this moment you are with Christ and you are seated with Him there. And that's the reason that we can have victory. That's the reason we can defeat the enemy. That's the reason we can protect our family. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, you sent your son to defeat the works of the devil. You sent your son to set the captives free. To release the prisoner. To open the eyes of the blind. To proclaim the year of Lord's favor. I pray that you would continue to do it in our day and in our lives. In Jesus' name, who reigns with you, one in the Holy Spirit with you. Amen.